morning and welcome back to Alger Assembly of God. Welcome back to our study in our series, Stories Jesus Told. Okay, we didn't practice that part. I sprung it on you. But we've been in this study and series. We're going to conclude that today, even though next week our guests will be sharing from another parable. But our study concludes today. And we've been looking at stories Jesus told, parables. They're, they're stories about familiar things, but they bring us spiritual truths. And so we've, we've covered a bunch of them. Certainly we've not covered them all. Uh, they're all uh, available for you online. I've got a question for you. Before we get to today's parable and story, I just I want you thinking. And so this is more of a rhetorical question. I'll ask and I want you to think. Don't necessarily yell it out. But if you had to think about the best or most memorable or favorite meal you've ever eaten, what would you say? Could you come up with one? Now, as soon as I say best or most memorable or favorite, there's, there's a lot of different ways you can determine that, right? It could be purely about the food. My favorite food or my favorite meal or my favorite dish or, you know, this entire meal or buffet spread was the best. You could make, uh, base your comment on the food, you could base it on the situation. Uh, maybe it's who you were with or where you were or what that represented, maybe a particular trip. Or maybe it's, it's simply about the setting. It was a really pretty place, a really uh, great restaurant. So whatever the case might be, maybe you all roll all of those things together in one. For, for me, I'd probably say one of two things that stick out most to me. One is right uh, at the beginning of marriage. Kim and I were married in June of 2000. Uh, we spent a handful of days in the Poconos and a handful of days at Niagara Falls. We were on the Canadian side, and uh, we had a meal up in the Sky Lawn Tower, the, the big tower. And you gotta, you got to buy tickets to get up there first. But at the top of the tower, it's a rotating restaurant. So it rotates all the way around one time every hour. So basically in the course of your meal, you're going to see the whole city line of uh, the falls and the Canadian side and American side. So really pretty. And uh, I think I had surf and turf. I think it was steak and lobster. Pretty sure Kim had chicken. But it was, a, it was a great meal. It was a great place. It's the beginning of our married life together. And so who I'm with, I mean, that was pretty cool and pretty memorable. Uh, probably a second one for me, thinking about family, would have been maybe about eight years ago. Uh, we took uh, the family, went with the girls and with Gary and Sue, and we went to Disney World. So eight years ago, girls were eight and five. And uh, now this was, this was in late October, and so we were going to not be here during the, quote, you know, Halloween trick-or-treat for the girls to get dressed up. And so uh, we had them go and get a costume in advance, but we told them they had to pick their favorite princess outfit. So they both got a princess dress. We didn't tell them why. And we surprised them with going to Disney World, and we were able to get tickets, too, because he had reservations are hard to come by but we were able to get into cinderella's castle so the the castle that you see everywhere i think it's on the second floor or third floor or whatever there's a full restaurant there 
And so they were dressed up in their princess dresses as we went to the Cinderella castle and met Cinderella. There's a bunch of other uh, princesses who came around table to table. And so uh, because of the location, it was Disney World, it was, a, it was the castle, it was right around the time when they were doing fireworks, so there's fireworks outside, we're with our girls in their cute little dresses, and meeting uh, you know, princesses, and then the meal itself was nice. So those are some things that probably stick out to me. Who knows what you might come up with, but there's a whole host of things that we could if you turn with me to Luke chapter 14, Jesus tells about a meal. In fact, he tells about this great banquet, but it's not quite so much about the food. Jesus has another detail in mind. And so if you're turning to Luke chapter 14, to understand where we're going in the parable, let's understand the setting of Luke 14. He's eating in the home of a Pharisee, one of the religious leaders, and it's on a Sabbath day. And these Pharisees, these religious leaders, they're watching him like a hawk to see what he does because it's the Sabbath, and you're not supposed to do any work on the Sabbath. And, and we see that several different times throughout Scripture when Jesus would, horror of horror, heal somebody on the Sabbath. Healing somebody was considered work, and so they were, you know, they were telling how bad he was for doing work on the Sabbath, and Jesus is saying, hey, isn't it better to heal? So they're watching him carefully. There's a man with dropsy, extreme swelling in his body and legs, and he heals a man of dropsy on the Sabbath. It's right here at this incredible meal. Now, as Jesus is there with all of these Pharisees and many other religious leaders getting ready for this meal, he's observing everybody trying to pick out their seat. You ever been a part of a, a big crowd, uh, maybe a, a big you know, family uh, gathering or something, and you go to a restaurant, and everybody's scrambling to pick what they think are the best seats? You know, they want to sit next to so-and-so or across from so-and-so. Or maybe you've got one of those, uh, you know, big Thanksgiving dinners or Christmas dinners where everybody gets together. How many of you have like a kid's table? You might have a kid's table. You have all these people together. And in some of our families, sometimes we've had, there's like a card table off to the side. You can't fit everybody at one table. So yeah, we'll have the kids over here. Sometimes people are looking for, where's the best spot? I don't want to be at this table. I want to be at the big table. I don't want to be next to so-and-so. I want to be here. Well, Jesus is watching everybody kind of jockey for position at the table. And so then he teaches them about humility. So he's at a meal, lots of Pharisees, religious leaders. He heals someone on the Sabbath, teaches about humility, and if tension isn't high enough, then he launches into a teaching saying that they basically have invited the wrong guests. He says, you've invited people who basically can return the favor. Maybe think about inviting someone who can't return the favor, who's not able to do this. So he, he teaches a little bit about that. And so in the midst of this moment, some guest speaks up and he says, Blessed is everyone who eats bread in the kingdom of God. 
Maybe it's because it's the tension. Maybe it's to sound spiritual. He's probably hoping and thinking everybody's going to nod their heads. Yes, yes, we're all going to be there. We're all going to eat bread in the kingdom of God. They probably assumed everybody at that banquet, everybody at that dinner was going to eat bread in the kingdom of God. I mean, these were some good Jews. These were some good Pharisees. Certainly they were all going to be there. And of course, the people who weren't there, they weren't going to be there in that meal either. Almost a little bit of an elitist attitude. So he takes the opportunity to correct them about some of these ideas of God's kingdom. And in the story to tell, in a sense, he's saying some of the people like you who think you're going to be there won't be. And some of the people that aren't here or that you don't think will be, will be here. See, it's really about how you respond to God and how you respond to his invitation. Many people today have a similar assumption about God or an assumption about heaven. Everybody's going to be there. I mean, you ask the average person, do you know God? Yes. Are you going to heaven? Yes. And they'll have any number of answers, right? Because they're a good person, because they've gone to church, because their mom or their dad was, or their grandma or their grandpa was, or, well, I went to church a couple times last year, or I did this, or I helped, or I gave, or I served. So many people say, I'm going to heaven. And Jesus is encountering these people of assumptions. Maybe they think it's just because of good works. So in this setting, all that they've experienced, he tells the parable of the great banquet. Luke chapter 14, beginning in verse 16, he says this, Jesus replied with this story. A man prepared a great feast and sent out many invitations. When the banquet was ready, he sent his servant to tell the guests, come, the banquet is ready. But they all began making excuses. One said, I've just bought a field and must inspect it. Please excuse me. Another said, I've just bought five pairs of oxen and want to try them out. Please excuse me. Another said, I now have a wife, so I can't come. The servant returned and told his master what they'd said. His master was furious and said, go quickly to the streets and alleys of town. Invite the poor, the crippled, the blind, and the lame. After the servant had done this, he reported, there is still room for more. So his master said, go out to the highways and hedges and compel anyone you find to come so that the house will be full. For none of those I first invited will get the smallest taste of my banquet. A couple of thoughts before we dig into some of the themes here. It's a kind of a custom of the culture to send out more than one invitation. Uh, reminds us perhaps of today's wedding culture, Right? Many people, they would send out a what? A save the, save the date. It's, it's a, you know, months in advance. Sometimes it's a postcard. Sometimes it's, you know, um, a magnet so you can put it on your fridge. But it's a save the date. It's not the official formal invitation. But in other words, if you get this, you're going to be invited. So just put it on your calendar. It's coming up. Here's the day. Here's the time. Here's the place. Save the date. And as you get closer, you've got that official invitation. So in a sense, kind of like this, the save today, they're notifying people this banquet is coming. They want to see the response, right? 
And then they send out that second message to say, hey, the banquet is set. It is ready. Come on. They don't have, you know, all of the food preparation that we would have. So when they see how many people respond to the invitation, they're going to get ready. Does this banquet require a couple of chickens? Does it require two sheep or one cow? You know, you're going to butcher that, prepare that, serve that, prepare that. And so this was the second invitation that's mentioned here. And refusing to come at that point, you're, you're insulting the host. Because you got the first invitation. You got to save the date. You're like, yeah, I'm, I'm coming. I'm good. I'm ready. And then the second one comes and says, hey, banquet's on. And a number of individuals are like, ooh, yeah, about that. Sorry. Now, notice the truth in verse 23. As Jesus is telling this story, we're seeing that the host, in a sense, is God, who's putting on this banquet, the master, the heart of the master is what? The end of verse 23, that the house will be full. God desires a full house. God desires that people would know him and respond to him and have a relationship with him. That's God's heart. In fact, 2 Peter chapter 3, 9 says this, he, meaning God, does not want anyone to be destroyed, but wants everyone to repent. He doesn't want anyone to be destroyed, but everyone to repent. That's the heart of God. Fill up the house that as many people can respond as possible, surrender their heart and their life, repent, and give their life to him. He desires that full house. How do we do it? How do we fill it? What are some of those thoughts and principles as we go back through? I'll share three of them briefly with you. First of all, you and I must invite everyone. Offer that invitation to everyone. Verse 16, it says that the man sent out many invitations. This, this wasn't just a select few to say, okay, let me see. You, you, you. Yep, not you. He sent out a whole bunch of invitations. He wanted a large and lavish banquet party. Then in verse 21, after the responses, he said, go to the streets and alleys, invite the poor, crippled, blind, lame. And again in verse 23, go to the highways and hedges, compel anyone you find to come. I got a question for you. I promise it's not a trick question. Are you part of anyone, yes or no? Okay, let's try that again. Let, let me hear you, good and loud. Loud enough that we can hear you on the video, all right? Are you part of anyone? Yes. There we go. Yes. He says, go and invite anyone, compel them to come. Every single one is to be invited. Now, there's several layers of application. you got the story. you got some of this spiritual application. Understand how these religious Jewish leaders were taking it. They're, they're understanding Jesus has kind of a meaning he's getting at that these religious leaders are understanding. He's saying, listen, these Jewish individuals and particularly Jewish leaders as well, 
Throughout the Old Testament, God was speaking to his people, to Israel, through prophets, extending that invitation, and many of them didn't treat it very highly. And now Jesus is saying, we're going everywhere. We're inviting everyone to respond. Now, culturally, these religious leaders weren't too crazy about that. Because that meant that the undesirable, quote-unquote, Gentiles, the non-Jews, they were going to be invited as well. Here's the truth. The thought for you and I is God's invitation is a wide one. It's a broad one. Everyone is invited. You are invited. Why? Because you and I are a part of anyone. Anyone is invited. Every person, no matter age, sex, race, background. Now, granted, there's the thought, maybe you've had one. Maybe you've thought about a family member. Maybe you've thought about a neighbor. Maybe you've thought about a classmate. Maybe you've thought about a coworker. Maybe there's been someone, maybe, that's come to your mind sometime since you've known the Lord, and your thought is, yeah, but so-and-so would never come to God. So-and-so would never respond to him. It's almost as if, you're writing somebody off before giving an invitation. And so what Jesus is speaking about here, the invitation is going out. The invitation went, and then we're going to invite more, and we're going to invite more, we're going to invite more. And in case I didn't make myself clear, anyone is invited. Now, I'd venture to say we've got family members that don't know Jesus. I'd venture to say there's classmates that don't know Jesus. I'd venture to say that there are coworkers, neighbors, people in our communities, a lot of people in our world that don't know Jesus, and they are invited. But we've got to do the invitation. We must invite them. Now, some of the instructions as to where they go, the streets and alleys of town, I mean, not only was there this general invitation, he's saying, start with some of the people that are nearby. And then he expands it out to what? Those in the highways and hedges. A couple interesting words here in the New Testament in Greek. Highways referring to roads to some of the other towns or countries. That, that makes sense to us in our description of highways, uh, uh, Interstates, they would be between Ohio and other states, maybe even between the United States and going up to Canada, etc. In other words, a wide cross-section of people. This isn't just your household. This isn't just the people hanging out in your backyard. This isn't just the people in your immediate community or not even the people in your immediate county, but these highways, these are people who are Maybe vastly different from you. They're welcome. They are invited to the party. And so in the culture here, this would refer to many of the Samaritans and Romans and Greeks and other Gentile travelers. He's saying they are all welcome. It's not just for the Jew, not just for those from Israel. Everyone is welcome in this story. So he said, not just the highways, but into the hedges. That particular word refers to, in a sense, these hedges that separate fields. 
And a lot of those fields were frequented by some beggars. Not the most desirable part of society. And Jesus is saying specifically in this story, anyone's welcome, anyone's invited. It's not just the Jew. It's not just the religious leader, the Pharisee. Hey, we're inviting everybody. Go to the highways, go to the hedges, even the people that you might think are least desirable. He's talking to the people at this party. Remember the one who said, hey, won't it be wonderful when we're all hanging around that dinner? In a sense, Jesus is saying, here's all the people you've left out of this meal. You brought people who look just like you and sound just like you to this meal, people you're comfortable with. He's saying the invitation of God the Father, it goes to anyone and everyone. They can turn and surrender their hearts and lives to him. In the culture, they would have viewed many of these people as unworthy. I mean, Samaritans, we took a look at the parable of the Good Samaritan, was considered a religious half-breed. We're not viewed very favorably. Jesus is saying they're welcome, they're invited. And from the hedges, people who don't have a whole lot that roam place to place and beg, they're welcome, they're invited. Jesus is saying Anyone means anyone. Invite them. And so the principle for you and I is to invite everyone. Everyone's invited. That's who we must share and invite. What are we doing? See, we've got an invitation or somehow you heard an invitation or somehow you received an invitation. Maybe it was because of your parents or because of your grandparents and, and it was kind of the thing to do. They went to church, so you went to church and at some point in church you surrendered your heart and your life to God and so you've been in church and we're good. But what about people who don't know Jesus? Is every single person in Alger a Christian saved and ready to meet God? I'd venture to say no. What about the surrounding communities? What about our county as a whole, our state as a whole, our nation as a whole, our world as a whole? You start thinking about it. There are a, an incredible amount of people who don't know Jesus. So what's he saying? Invite everyone. Now, yes, you say, well, yeah, that, that's what this church is for. Yeah, as a church, yes, we do some things. People are welcome to services and specials and ministries and outreaches, etc. But what are we doing personally? Do we invite people that we talk to? Do we invite people that we are connected to? Not just to invite them to church, which is good, but to invite them to know Jesus. To share the good news of how he's cleansed and forgiven and saved us and how he can do the same for them. We are to invite everyone. But secondly, how do we help then fill God's house? Because his heart is for his house to be filled. Secondly, we've got to eliminate excuses. Right in the midst of the story... Remember, they had received the save the date. So they knew when it was. They knew when this banquet was. And he, he got these responses back and said, hey, it's ready. But in the parable, in the story, three different people gave excuses. Did you catch that? Verse 
18, 19, and 20. Verse 18, the man said, well, I bought a field and I've got to inspect it. Verse 19, I bought five pairs of oxen and I want to try them out. Verse 19, well, I've got a wife now and I can't come. Someone said this, an excuse is the skin of a reason stuffed with a lie. The skin of a reason, but stuffed full with a lie. You and I perhaps have used excuses. You and I perhaps have heard excuses. You ever heard some good excuses? Right? If you've, if you've worked out in the public, you know, whether you're a teacher or whether you're in a business or in a restaurant, no doubt you've heard excuses as to why someone can't come in to work. Or you've heard excuses as to why someone can't come to this or why someone can't come to that. Listen, as a pastor, I've heard a whole ton of them. Over 25 years of ministry, I've heard excuses from kids as it relates to, you know, youth ministry and services and outreaches and events to adults. We hear excuses, right? We're pretty good at excuses. In our technological age, you can go to the Internet and find websites that will generate excuses for you. Need an excuse for this? Punch it in. They'll give you 10 options. In fact, there's one of them. It's crowdsourced. They list a whole bunch of excuses and people upvote or downvote. And so, you know, you get to see in real time the ones that more people will buy. As in, they'll, they'll get. You and I use excuses. Now, the ones that we see in Scripture here, the ones in Jesus' story, aren't the greatest ones. Now, they all sound really good. Bought a field, I bought oxen, I've got a wife, but think about it. First of all, each of these people had already received to save the day. So they already knew when this banquet was coming, and they said yes. And now the second, you know, invitation, or would you would say, getting ready for it, it's already come. They said, we can't. I bought a field and I've got to inspect it. How many of you would buy a field and not even take a look at it? Now, again, when it comes to a field, wouldn't the field be there the next day? If you've already bought it, isn't it going to be there the next day after the banquet, after the party? And many of these banquets, I mean, it's probably not a breakfast banquet. It might be in, you know, late afternoon, early evening party. Things are getting dark anyway. I mean, can't you wait or more than likely, wouldn't you have thought, let me take a look at this thing. How big is it? What, what's it look like? What are the borders like? I think the challenge is to make sure that we don't allow our possessions, our belongings, our stuff to take preeminence over God. Because sometimes the excuse is, because of my stuff, I can't spend time with God. So here they're saying, I'm going to miss out on the party because I've got this field. Or how about the oxen? I mean, I bought five pair. Five pair? That's a number of pairs. And you're telling me you're buying... Ten animals, and you've not seen these animals work? 
That'd be like, you know, buying a truck today for your job and not sure whether it runs or not. I mean, there would have been multiple opportunities to take these oxen out, plow in the field, or maybe as they were getting ready to sell, they could have had an exhibition and people could come and view these oxen at work, physically plowing to say, yes, I want to buy them. So in reality, this isn't the greatest of excuses. These oxen that they've bought, maybe the challenge for you and I would be our professions or business affairs. Do we get so tangled up with job and business? We say, that's what I've got to do, and I don't have time for God over here. Now the third one, we say, man, this third one, you got married, you got a wife, and that is valid situation. Again, he, he got that save the date in advance. Wouldn't this individual have known when they were getting married? And if the wedding was before this party, shouldn't he have known that he could? I mean, some of the individuals would have said, well, I'm going to point to Deuteronomy chapter 24, verse 5. The newly married man is exempt for a year from military and public duty. It's one of the instructions and encouragements in Scripture. It's right there, Deuteronomy 24, 5. Is this military? No. Is this public duty? No. It's a meal. It's a banquet. You were invited. You said yes. Why not celebrate with your wife? So the encouragement here is many times we allow family to allow us to slide away and slip away. Say, family is important, and it is, but we focus on family so much we neglect God. And so Jesus says, here's a handful of people, a handful of excuses that they've used, the, the field, the ox, and the wife, and they've all said, yeah, we can't come now. We're not able to be there at the banquet. Listen, the excuses that they offered, usually not the real reason for not doing something. When you and I have heard some excuses, and you hear somebody say, here's why I can't whatever. Do you ever stop to think, I wonder what the real reason is? Why don't they really want to do this? I mean, they'll give an excuse, and chances are you and I have given an excuse at time, but we don't always share the real reason. We don't know exactly what these individuals in the story, the real reason would be, but excuses often point to something else. Excuses tend to point to our loves, our values, and our priorities. True? If we give an excuse and say, I can't do this because I'm doing that, it's showing us this isn't very important, but this over here is. Excuses point to our heart, our love, our priorities. And they reveal what we really think about Jesus and his kingdom. These excuses reveal what they really think about the host. He's throwing a party. He gave us save the date. They say, yes. Now it comes time to come. They're like, yeah, not really. I'm not really feeling it. 
reveals something deeper in there. Now, understand, we see three excuses that were given. All kinds of people were invited, right? Including the maybe not so desirable to the Jews and to the religious leaders. They invited the poor, the crippled, the blind, the lame. Do you think they might have had a handful of excuses they could have given? They could have. The poor could have said, well, I don't have anything decent to wear for such a nice event. Yet they came. The crippled, I'm not sure that I can even get there. Can I find someone to get me there or transport me or carry me there? They were invited and came. The blind, I don't know that I can see myself there. I'm not sure that I can get there. Will someone lead me or take me there? They were invited and came. The lame, Difficult to walk on maybe bad leg or legs. So many of the people who were invited, they had some what we might consider pretty valid excuses that they didn't rely on. They said, I want to come. People on the highways and hedges. I mean, from the highways, they're coming from a long distance. From the hedges, these are some of the not-so-great people. Maybe they were didn't have the, the most... finding their way and begging. All of these people accepted the invitation. All of these people were welcome to come. They had a need. I'm hungry. I'm invited to a banquet. Sounds awesome. I'm there. For you and I, and for our world, this world is hungry spiritually. People are looking to fill that hunger with a whole bunch of stuff, and they fill it with the wrong kind of stuff. And the invitation goes out to say, come, surrender your heart and your life to Jesus. So for you and I, let's not make excuses, and, but let's look for other people and try to eliminate some of those excuses and point them to God. Many people today would, maybe they wouldn't share things about a field or oxen or a marriage Maybe we've heard or maybe you've used excuses. I'm good enough. I mean, I'm pretty good. Why would I need church? Why would I need God? I mean, I know some of those people, and I'm better than them. I know, I know so-and-so goes to church. Man, you ought to hear what comes out of their mouth. I don't talk like that. I don't need that. A lot of people would say, I'm good enough. I don't need God. Here's another good excuse. Man, I got plenty of time. I got time. I want to live my life, whether they're a, a child or a teenager, a young adult or even adult. I got plenty of time. You know, later in life, maybe I'll think about that Jesus stuff. Unfortunately, we don't know the amount of time left in our life. We, we can't plan some of those things. So people would say, well, I'm, I'm good enough or I'll do it later or... Again, that, that common one that says, well, boy, there's a lot, of, a lot of Christians who are hypocrites. I mean, they say they love God. I mean, I've seen them at Alger Assembly of God, but do you know what they did? Do you know what they said? Do you know what they posted on social media? Do you know what they did in their job? It's a lot of different excuses. Some would say, I don't want to surrender my heart and my life to God. For us personally, and for those that we're trying to reach, let us invite everyone. 
and seek to eliminate excuses. Let us make sure that God is a priority, not just a possibility for down the road. Finally, how do we fill the house? God wants a full house. God wants people to know him, to respond to him, and allow him to change and cleanse them from sin. Thirdly, influence change. Verse 23, the master said to go to the highways and hedges, and he uses an interesting word. He says, compel anyone you find to come. Compel, urge them to come. He said, some of these people might need a little extra nudge to come. Because we're inviting everyone. Some of the people who don't normally get invited to stuff like this, you know, you have this meal and I'm sitting at your meal and none of those people are at this meal. They would probably not be invited to that meal according to you. But since you're inviting everyone and these people are not used to being asked, they might need some influencing. See, these Jews and leaders prided themselves on not being a part of or touching some of these outcasts. Look throughout Scripture. Look throughout the Gospels. How many times did they scorn or mock Jesus for who he hung out with? Tax collectors? Don't want to hang out with them. Prostitutes? Definitely not. Sinners? I mean, all of these people, people who need Jesus... He would talk to and befriend and minister to, and they would mock and scorn him for hanging out with such people. Jesus is saying, these are some of the kinds of people you're going to need to really urge them to come. They're, they're not used to being welcomed, not used to being invited. They might resist it. They might say, I can't repay it, because that's the whole mentality of the society. You're going to invite somebody. You're going to do something for someone who can do it for you. Isn't that the, the culture? Networking and business. And so schmooze with this person so later on they'll help you out down the road. Jesus is saying these people, they're not used to being welcomed or greeted because they don't have anything to offer. So he's saying we've got to influence some change. In other words, go urge compel. That's what compel means. And it means an insistent hospitality. It's kind of, kind of a unique term there. A hospitality uh, that's insistent, that, that's got some you know, urging behind it. Others refer to it as a friendly pressure. Listen, God's not saying, hear me and hear me clearly, God's not saying that you go up to that unsaved family member, neighbor, co-worker, classmate, slap some handcuffs on them so you can drag them to church and say, I'm not letting go, I'm, I'm not unlocking this until you give your life to Jesus. Wouldn't that be the, just an incredible evangelistic outreach you know, each one bring one. And what we really mean is, you know, go purchase yourself some, uh, some handcuffs. He's, he's not saying that we're able to force somebody, literally force them to surrender their heart to Jesus. But what he's saying is compel them, urge them. Don't, don't just kind of hint at it and stop, but remind and repeat and encourage and invite. There's got to be a sense of urgency. 
a family member doesn't know Jesus, a coworker, a classmate doesn't know Jesus, and we're closer now than ever to when Jesus returns, are they ready? Let there be an urgency in our heart and in our life. Certainly going in kindness, going wisely with tact, with kindness and gentleness. But is there, is there an urging? Is there a passion in our heart that says, I'm right with God, but I want you to know what, what Jesus has done for me, he can do in you and in your life. In fact, Henry Ward Beecher had this quote. He says, if you want your neighbor to know what Christ will do for him, let your neighbor see what Christ has done for you. Influence change. Let there be an influence. Let there be an urging that we are actively pursuing and inviting people. Quote or statistic we've used, I've shared over a number of years, Tom uh, Rayner had this. They interviewed many unchurched people. They said that about 80% of unchurched people said that they would attend a church if invited. If invited. About 80%. Which means the basic hindrance keeping people from coming is the invitation. And in this parable, Jesus is saying, you and I, we're to invite everyone. Work to eliminate excuses and then influence change.